Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. It's Af Malhotra again on Straight Talk. Uh, today, once again, I have a phenomenal guest who actually I know from my past. And uh, when I was a little boy, and uh, uh, this guest was a little bit older than I was, I did absolutely look up to her. She was doing some fa fantastic things, even at a very young age music, dancing, uh, a thriving career in accounting and so on. I'm not going to give the story away because it's her opportunity to do so. But today I'd like to welcome uh, a dear friend and someone who has absolutely been a trailblazer and an outlier and a maverick in all sense of the word. Uh, so Vandana Sikhsanapuria, welcome to Straight Talk. It's what a delight to have you on the, sh on the show today. Hello, I have to say it's just so awesome to be here. So great to see you. Yeah, likewise. And things happen for a reason. And today we were supposed to talk and you're at a very, very important juncture of your life because you've just launched your book. And of course, you've been writing for, a, for many years, but this is a special one for you. And you'll tell us why. The book is called Let Me Hijack Your Mind. Let Me yeah. Hijack Your Mind. And it couldn't be more um, clear cut than that. And you're going to tell us more about that, of course. So before I, I, I kick off, I just wanted to give you the opportunity to introduce yourself. Who are you? Um, why are you here? And as you know, on Straight Talk, it is pretty straight talking. And we get right to the core of who you are. And so there's none of the mar marketing um, yeah, yeah. hype around it. It's straight to the person you are. So uh, please, please tell us a bit about yourself and then we'll go with the flow and have the conversation about your book. Gosh, thank you. Thank you. Um, it's so, you know, my childhood was in England. I think it's probably worth starting with that very briefly. Um, and I grew up in, as you know, um, or, or you didn't know because you were a bit younger than me, 1970s Britain was not kind to Asians. And I... I, you know, uh, I have to be honest and say that I, I had some really hard times in the 70s. Mm. Um, I, I remember being beaten up. I remember being spat at. I remember once being in a car and mum had literally just gone out to get a loaf of bread or something. And um, luckily, we, the, the car was locked, but these skinheads came and surrounded the car and tried to bang, you know, were basically rocking the car going, Packy, go home. Um, so, you know, when a lot of people look at my life and they see that I've got an OBE from the Queen and that I set up and I sold my first company when I was 28 um, to a listed company um, and they hear all these things and they think, oh, gosh, she's had the magical, charmed life. Rubbish. Right. I've, mm. I've been through everything that many, many of us have been through. Um, and I think that's what's made me the person I am. So in a nutshell, what I would say is I'm a counterfactual thinker. And what a counterfactual thinker is, is, is somebody who looks at what's going on and says, mm, mm. how different could it be? Um, I'll give you a really quick example of that. So there's a lot about diversity and inclusion and let's get women into the workplace and everything. Mm. I've, um, I've created a series of planets, as one does in one spare time. Um, and one of my planets was, was really influenced by what happens here on Earth. 50% of the population more or less is female, right? But if you look, um, and it's not a good or bad statement, but 80% of history has been written by men and about men. 80% mm -hmm. of religion has been written by men and about men. 80% of art, literature, agriculture, science, um, you name it, has been written by men and about men. And we haven't really heard the female voice as much. I say 80%. 
you can query that figure. But, but my point is 50% of the population have not figured in decision-making to the point that women only got the vote in the UK just over a hundred years ago. I yeah. mean, and yet humanity has been around for like 10,000s of years. Um, and so I, I created a planet where any baby that died on earth in the womb or within 11 minutes of being born, its energy or whatever you want to call it, soul, whatever, goes to another planet and is born there. Um, but because we're killing so many female babies in India, in China, in South America and in Africa, which is, I mean, there's evidence that proves it. We know that we've lost maybe 250 million females from India over, over the past century, right? Mm. If we had a planet that had all those babies, what would it look like? If it was 80% female and always had been from the beginning, what could it look like? Yeah. And don't tell me that work would be nine to five, Monday to Friday, because it wouldn't. It, I mean, it just wouldn't occur to women to run, you know, work. And then what would work be? What would school be? What would the biggest business have been, et cetera, et cetera. So that's counterfactual thinking. Now, mm. you can say, well, that's cloud cuckoo land. But actually, it's very useful because you can kind of go off into those worlds and say, how would they handle a particular problem that we're experiencing in our current world? And you put it into kind of like a couple of rules um, and, and the way that that world functions. And you actually come out with some pretty amazing ideas. Hmm. So that's hmm. that's the kind of work that I do under the human alarm clock. Wow. Uh, that's yeah. the name of my company. We <clears throat> wake people up, we get people to think differently and we solve problems. As Einstein says, you know, you can't solve problems using the same thinking that you created those problems with. You sure. need a different type of thinking. Hmm. Wow, that's incredible. I love that. And I think, um, it's so timely because a lot of the conversations we've had on Straight Talk, as, as, as I was mentioning to you earlier on, just before we started the, the, the show, about 90 of those conversations, without question, each one of those conversations has, has touched on, if not elaborated on, consciousness, human consciousness. And yes, it's, it's, we've d discussed all sorts of interesting things. It's sort of boiled down to the fact that there is a new age, there's a new paradigm, there's a new way of living that we need to ourselves create, not be victims of and you know, yes. moan and complain and be cynical. We have to go out there and try and create that new future, be it in these new planets that you're describing, whether it's a metaphorical yeah. phenomena yeah. or it's, it, yeah. it could even be real to some extent because you're taking energy fields. That's, that's it. That's exactly what we're doing. Yeah. yeah. And it's so, so, so important. So that's wonderful. And um, we, need to, we need to understand that a little bit more during, during yeah. this sort of discussion. Sure. Um, so this company that you have, I love the name as well, the Human Alarm Clock, and you're the chief alarmist. So you said to me, you were a CA, a chartered accountant, slightly different CA, and now you remain a CA in a new um, body, in a new avatar. skin, yeah, a new avatar, new incarnation. So you're the chief, uh, yeah, chief alarmist. Okay, so what's the gig here? What, what's, why did you set this company up and where are you headed with it? You know, it was, um, it was taking a real risk, um, Arf. It was, um, I was so, wherever I went in the world, so I lived in Eastern Europe for 10 years. Okay. Um, I lived in Romania, Hungary, Poland, Ukraine for a bit, Serbia, when the bombings were happening. Like I lived in that region for 10 years. 
Um, and then for the last 17 years, I've lived in India. But during that time, I do a lot of work with Vietnam, Cambodia, Indonesia, also do work in Africa mm. um, and the States and Australia. So, you know, I've spent a lot of time talking to people. And, you know, I've done a lot of work in the UK, India corridor, UK. Mm. And, and so I've talked from royalty and ministers to street cleaners. Mm. And it's fundament, fundamentally, it's so interesting that everyone has the same problems. Mm. Everyone has the same problems. And um, they just manifest in slightly different ways. So what I'm trying to do with the human alarm clock is distill the essence of what's really causing the dis-ease in, in society. And working with some amazing thinkers from across the world, um, including an amazing guy that I admire called Dr. Richard Clayden um, from EQ Labs in Hong Kong. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, really, you know, saying to companies, you, you think your employees are stressed. Let's, let's just go beyond, you know, the Band-Aid mm -hmm. and let's really get to the cancer, you know. Mm -hmm. Are no. you causing it? Are you causing, you know, if you're expecting them to work these hours yeah. in this way and interculturally because you've got this other office in India or in the Philippines and whatever, and they've never been over there, so they no. don't understand the culture, they don't understand the cultural differences. Are you really trying to tell me you're not responsible for that no. stress and it's just everything else that's happening to those people? No, it's not. Um, and so the human alarm clock is there to... Uh, to talk to companies that have got problems, talk to individuals that have got challenges and really get beneath the surface to work out what the real challenge is, mm -hmm. then figure out how to transform. Right, right. And are you doing this with a team of people, solo? Yeah. Yeah. No, no, team of people. Um, I've got, I work with some fabulous um, interculturalists, strength psychologists, um, other psychologists, um, you, you know, uh, business people, etc. cetera, uh, not just from India, but from across the world. Mm. depending on what the assignment is and what the challenge is. Mm. Fantastic. Wonderful. I think that's such a desperately needed solution set in the market today, because uh, as you mentioned, you know, as I mentioned earlier on, when we set up ST, the whole idea was to deal with the chaos of the pandemic. That was yeah. the trigger point, right? That yeah. was the catastrophe that got us to do this. Yeah. And what we've discovered over the last, what, 24 months plus is that the state of the CEO, the state of the leader, Yes. call it the leader or the yes. decision maker yeah. Um, yeah. has altered to a large degree and yeah. there's some who've won and come out really good and there's yeah. there's some who uh, haven't come out so well and there's some in the middle who are totally lost and unsure as to where they really stand so they have a job role they have a responsibility they have a duty to run a company to build a company but actually at a psychological level at a personal level uh, all of that has just got, you know, ignored. And there's a lot of pain and trauma people have been going through. Absolutely. I mean, you know, a personal pain, personal trauma, ill health, death of people around them. And there's so many different sort of incarnations and forms of trauma that affect your ability to see the world and process the world. But uh, off, in addition to that, so this is one of the other areas that I've been studying. I've been studying the neurobiology and and also this upcoming area that doesn't have enough research yet called epigenetics yes which you which you, you may have heard of yeah. and it's also looking at traumas that previous generations have suffered Correct. and how those traumas are still within you but you don't even realize it yeah. so with women a lot of the time i say to them you you know you need to stand up you're completely aware and you're having a go at yourself for not standing up but you need to understand you come from 10 generations that weren't allowed to stand up 
So it's yeah. not you who's not, not speaking up. It's, it's that that's pulling you back. Um, yeah. And unwinding that is, it, it takes a lot. Yeah, it's a, you're bang on. And funny enough, we had a, one of our speakers was talking about epigenetics about um, six or seven months ago. Oh, wow. Yeah. We've been studying that as a community. And uh, I've been looking at epigenetics and also biohacking. Um, right. because that's also one of the things that you have to look at alternative treatments to, to, to betterment of life and wellness. Yeah. So that's great. And, um, when we talk about your book then, so, uh, this is quite fascinating because of the person you co-wrote the book with, and, uh, there's obviously a huge story. Yeah, that's much better. Thank you. We can see it. Huge story. Um, you know, there we go. Um, and, uh, how do you pronounce Alik Padmasi? Alik. Alec yeah. Badamsi. Yes. Alec Badamsi. And uh, tell us everything about this. So, firstly, is it out? Can someone buy this? Yes. Where, yeah. Is it yes. on Amazon? Kindle, Kindle version available on Amazon outside of India. Right. Um, it's only the published form is only allowed in is only available in India. I think later this year it's coming out in the UK and the US. Okay. Uh, I'm just I'm just waiting to find out. Um, yeah, so it's all very exciting. It's causing a bit of a storm, which is good. Beautiful. So, and we're, we're honored to, to have you talk about this book on the show today. So it's always uh, amazing for authors to do that with us. So off you go. T tell us right from ground zero, like, what is this about? Why did you write it? Where did you meet um, um, Ali Badamzi and in just the whole story? So I think it's worth, um, you know, I, I think a lot of people abroad won't know Alec, um, yeah. but I, I'd like to give you a sense of who Alec was. Yeah. Alec was, um, I think, honestly, one of uh, the foremost non-linear thinkers, um, I would say globally, because he, he's in the Clio Hall of Fame for advertising. So he, he went global with some of his advertising campaigns. He came from a, a, a very well-to-do family in Bombay, a Muslim family. He gave up his religion at a very early age. He was like, I don't want anything to do with that. But his family were, were the first theater family of Mumbai. The, there right. were the Alkazis and the Badamsis, and they used to put on the first theater productions in Bombay in English. And um, <clears throat> they were very, very successful. So, but, but theater doesn't pay. And so Alec at a very early age realized that he would need to do something else, especially because he'd fallen in love with a divorced wo woman and he was determined to marry her. And his mother was saying over my dead body, I will, I will disinherit you. So he knew he had to make some money. This woman that he fell in <coughs> <clears throat> excuse me, this woman he fell in love with, Pearl Badamsi, was also from the acting fraternity, and she had two small children. So he said, I've got to make a living. And mm. a friend of his from the theatre com community, another very famous name, Jason Dakuna, had started working in advertising, pulled Alec in, and Alec was a hit from, you know, day one. I'll, I'll give you a couple of examples, mm. sure. really quick examples of how he changed the way people thought. He was told by the government that the government wanted to come out with a campaign to try and encourage um, people to not have more than two kids, right? And Alec knew that 80% of India was illiterate. So he couldn't have some Bollywood film star go, hey, you know, you should only mm. have two kids mm. because it wouldn't make any sense. What he did 
was he took a jar and the advert was a jar and it you could put two tomatoes in it comfortably but if you put the third one in and you shut the lid all the tomatoes burst right. and the headline was one or two that's it we <laughs> took it to the government and the government went what on earth is this nobody's gonna understand yeah. And he said, you'd be surprised. <clears throat> so the government took the advert out to all these villages in India and said, what do you make of this ad? And they said, well, it's obvious we should only have two children. Why? Well, if you try and have a third, you can't feed them. You can't give them as much love. No, no, it's better to have two. That campaign is, is you know, ranked up there with one of the reasons why India you know, got to a stage of uh, population control. And believe mm. me, we, we may think of one point, you know, 4 billion as being still too much, but it would have been closer to two by now if, if people like Alec hadn't got involved. So mm. that's the kind of mind he had. He had a very social mind, but he's also known for um, some of the most amazing, um, uh, you know, sort of private advertising, uh, you know, commercials. So he did, for example, Karma Sutra condoms. He did Kama Sutra condoms. They, they came to him and they said, you know, please do a, an advertising campaign. And he noticed that every single campaign for condoms was all about don't catch a, uh, HIV, don't catch AIDS, you know. And, and they were really kind of scary adverts. And he said, what rubbish? He said, right. you know, sex is, is about pleasure. So the catch line was for the pleasure of making love. Right. And it had Bhutt, who was a big actress, you know, yeah. in this very steamy scene. And again, it became like the number one hit. See, he wasn't afraid to take risks. He also wasn't mm. afraid to think differently. Mm. So, so that's who Alec was. And he also played Jinnah in um, Attenborough's Gandhi. So ah, right. yes. very well known, oh. you know, for that. Yeah. So, so basically, I'd grown up <clears throat> hearing about Alec Badamsi, and he was always doing something outrageous, you know, supporting the Dalits or supporting LBGTQ mm. or whatever. He was always doing something. <clears throat> and um, I got a phone call one day from my executive assistant's, um, my, my executive assistant, she's an Australian woman called Glenda, very mm. strong Australian woman, who'd married a very strong Indian man whose mother happened to be part of that theatre uh, fraternity. Right. And um, the mother-in-law the, the mother -in -law rang up my assistant and said, I demand that Vandana comes to lunch. She has to meet a friend of mine who is a Padmashri, mm. which is the equivalent of an OBE. Right. And he would like to meet you, uh, Vandana, because she's an OBE. Mm. And like, I was like, okay, let's find out who this is. And when I heard it was Alec, I was like, oh! I, you know, read up everything about him and I just knew that I wanted to understand how his mind worked. Mm. So I got invited to this lunch, sat next to him at lunch and uh, had, had the conversation about a female planet. Mm. And he looked at me and he said, I would never have taken you for a chartered accountant. You should have been in advertising. <laughs> and, uh, and he said, you know, I completely agree with your view. We're not yeah. hearing the female voice. Yeah. He said, you need to come and talk to me in Bombay uh, when you're next there. <clears throat> and so I went to see him the next time and we just hit it off like a house on fire, had some great conversations. And after about three visits, he said to me, listen, I need to talk to you. Straight talk. 
he said i have a book in me but i have no idea what it's about i know it's not going to be a biography i did one of mm. those 20 years ago not interested mm. will you help me and without a breath i just went how about I come round and we record our conversations and then we just see what themes emerge? Yes, of yeah, course. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, oh my God, what am I getting myself into? But 53 conversations later, yeah. and after about 200 hours of conversations, wow, okay. we um, put, you know, transcripts, we looked at all the keywords, we looked at what was going on and what we realized was that Alec fundamentally had a way of hijacking your mind. He mm -hmm. truly believed that we have outsourced our thinking. We've outsourced our thinking years ago to religion. You know, religion's going to tell us how to be a good person. And then we outsourced it to the monarchy and to government. And now more yeah. recently, we've outsourced it to social media and to, you know, celebrities, et cetera, et cetera, and to society. And he says, we've got to wake up. If we're going to evolve as human beings, right? We need to change our thinking. Yeah. We need to reclaim our minds. So the book is all about all these social norms that appear in India. And he has left literally no stone unturned. He has been mm. ruthless with everyone and everything. And he's basically said, I want you to rethink why you do what you do. Wow. Wow. So that's phenomenal. What a beautiful story and what an incredible person he must have been. And unfortunately, we, we weren't able to meet him. And uh, yeah. but you're going to carry the legacy on in this fantastic book. Yeah. Um, tell us a little bit more about I'll just I'll just pull this thread a little bit more. Tell us a bit about uh, sort of those 53 interactions and 200 hours of yeah. of, of uh, quality time in conversations. Yeah. Um, what did that do for you? Um, we know what it did for him, but what did it do for you? How did it create transformation within you? Oh, gosh. Um, I I kind of talked to you about my childhood, right? Yeah. Now, you, you very kindly, you know, before we came on air, you were talking about how you remember our house for the parties that we used yeah. to have and the festivities and the dancing and all of this. Um, I think with all that side, there's also a dark side. Um, and yeah. the dark side was that I was bullied. Um, mm. I went through a couple of Me Too incidences before I hit 18. Um, wow. And uh, life wasn't easy. Mm. And, and during that time, I spent a lot of time by myself and I spent a lot of time thinking. Mm. And my ideas started to germinate then, but I never had the strength to get the ideas out. Now, meeting Alec was like... It was like I could breathe again. Mm -hmm. Here was somebody who had the most outlandish ideas, but was accepted for who he was and, and could speak up and openly speak up about things. And when I was with him, I didn't have to hide who I really was and my ideas. I didn't talk about the female planet until around the time that I spoke to him. He mm. was the one that encouraged me to say, you know, you, you need to really develop this and you need to look at this and you need to look at that. And this is how you can, can commercialize it. And he, he really taught me to A, believe in my thinking, but mm. also B, how to critically evaluate thinking. 
And mm. he came up with this model called Oika. Oika is O-I-C-A. Mm -hmm. um, and, and the first is O is with, with anything you're unhappy with, what's the observation of what's going on? So I'll give you an example from the book. Um, the observation in his world was that marriage was a disaster. He didn't know anyone who was happily married. Mm. Unless they'd kind of divorced and got married again and then divorced and got married again, right? He did not see people who were in the happily ever after. He saw codependency. He saw taking people for granted, et cetera, et cetera. So that was his observation, that right. marriages didn't seem to last being happy. Mm -hmm. His insight was, <clears throat> well, in everything else in our life, we have to take like an appraisal. Or we have to renew things like with a passport, it expires, you renew it. With work, if you want to be promoted, you have an appraisal, you're told what's good, what's bad. And then you mm -hmm. can see where this is going, right? But in marriage, you just get married and that's it. Right, right. And so his, so we've got observation and we've got insight. The insight mm. is there's no form of renewal. Right. So his right. conceptualization was... Let's change marriage. Let's keep the sanctity of marriage, but let's have a five-year marriage license that right. is renewable by both parties. And if either one party doesn't want to renew, the marriage gets, you know, annulled. basically, yeah, yeah annulled. And, and there's some frameworks on which everything is split. Yeah. But yeah. the whole idea is actually not for that to happen. The whole idea is in year four, you kind of go, this is going well, but you know what? I've, started taking so and so for granted mm. what am i doing to keep this marriage alive and maybe mm. the other person will say yeah i don't cook as much as i used to we don't go out as much as we used to the kids are taking up so much mm. time and we'll get you to rethink it mm -hmm. so the chapter is do you need a license to marry your spouse mm -hmm. that's the title but actually the chapter is all about what other areas of our life should we renew and what are we not thinking about in the right way? So conceptualize something that could work mm. and then put it into action. That's mm. what OIKA stands for. Mm. So what mm. I think I learned in the process was how, um, how his mind worked. He was what was, you know, for me, the definition of a rhizomatic learner. I don't know if you're familiar with the term <coughs> rhizomatic. So rhizomes are... Um, they're kind of bushes where you can't see where it starts and where it ends. And all of it's interconnected. So it, this part will feel what this part is happening with this part. Um, and a rhizomatic learner is somebody who learns from everything, pulls it all together. It's very much what your community is about, mm -hmm. I think, Arf. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. it, it, it's about pulling everything together, looking at the interrelationships, looking at mm -hmm. the pluralist, pluralistic views within that. Mm -hmm. um, and he was very much that kind of person. And it, I think he taught me that you could be like that. He inspired me no end mm -hmm. in that respect. Mm -hmm. Wow, that's amazing. So Oika, just for, for memory, observation, insight, and concept, or the conceptual aspect of it. Conceptualization. and then, of and course, then action. action. Mm -hmm. um, I really like that idea. I just want to comment on that point, because as we've, again, I'm just bringing in the stories of the, the last 90 interactions that I've had, like you've had your 53 with um, Alec. Um, there has been an element of there's been an element of self um, discovery and introspection or reflection 
in just about every discussion that we've had. Everyone has a personal story that led them to be who they are today, good or bad, or a combination of all of them, right? Like a, like a kitchari or like a paella or a, you know whatever it may be equivalent. So there's a lot going on. And when you talk about marriage in particular, the institution of marriage, it's phenomenal because that whole idea uh, and the concept in one part of the world has much more significance and meaning and every all the fanfare around it and the fa entire family involved in it and it's just a central part of how you exist in fact it, it is your identity it right? is your identity um, yeah, yeah, right. right it's yeah, phenomenal yeah. and in another part of the world it's important but not that important mm. and if you look at generational signposts from this newer generation that we are we are cultivating now their relationship with the institution is very different and i guess i haven't read the book of course and i will i guess a lot of what you may be talking about in this book is relevant to us our generation and above but also actually a doctrine and a manual for the next generation absolutely in fact if you look at um who he's dedicated it to. I don't know if you can see this, yeah. but it, it says dedicated to my okay. favorite people, youth of India, the youth right. of India. This book is for the youth of India. It's basically saying, look, we know that you don't really believe in religion anymore yeah. and believe in, you, you know, where are your principles coming from? And this book is to help them work out that you don't have to adopt what everyone else says you should follow. Mm. He actually, at the end, because he is who he is, he mm. says, forget Moses and the Ten Commandments. Here are mm. my Ten Commandments. Mm -hmm. And mm. he talks about just doing good. Yeah. You know, being a good neighbor, respecting your neighbor's religion. Yeah. Uh, you know, things, things that really should have been said in the scriptures, mm. but haven't been said as mm. impactfully. Mm. No, it's wonderful. And tell us about... Um, were there any particular moments? I know, of course, you had so many amazing moments when you wrote this book, but were there any sort of game-changing moments or like aha moments or moments that you will always remember that you believe you, you and you're comfortable sharing with the audience that you felt had a profound impact on um, where you are today? I know, I know there would be loads. Yeah. There were some yeah. that because that happened, this happened, and then that happened, and I am where yeah. I am. Well, you know, uh, look, if we just take the whole genesis of the book, yeah. um, you know, so you saw how random it was. I happened to know a woman who was having Alec round for lunch. Right. And then it obviously goes to I meet Alec and then, you know, I, I start collaborating with Alec and I meet the whole of his community and his family. And then he passes away mm. and I'm devastated because he's like my he was like my godfather. Mm. He was he was really such a strong mentor to me mm. that I felt I felt like like the ground had been taken away. Mm. Um, and then for six months, I couldn't really work on the book. Um, and then his daughter and son called me up and said, listen, we need to get this book out. And I started working on it again, finished it. I had no idea at that time that Ronnie Screwala, who's one of India's billionaires and somebody that was taught by Alec and Pearl in the early days, would write the foreword of the book. I had no idea that Shashi Tharoor, who's, um, you know, sort of a, a shadow kind of minister and, um, you know, ex-deputy of the, the UN, would write something so, you, you know, uh, 
I mean, really lovely appreciating mm. the ideas of the book, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, I mean, in that respect, I, I never understood how things could snowball, and I, I really saw saw that happen with everyone come together. I was very scared about this book coming out because there are chapters that are extremely controversial for India as a nation, mm. and mm. I think globally still, um, and. I was nervous, but when all of these people said, we're here and we're backing you, I, I was just like, you know, I can go ahead and do it. And I think what bringing the book, you know, talking to Alec, when I talked to Alec and Alec understood some of the ideas that I had, and I could also change his mind on some of the ideas. Like, you know, one after he said, he said, look, no matter what, um, men have, have testosterone and that, you know, because of that, women, you you know, it's it's good to have gender and gender equality and all of this, but there are going to be challenges if women are wearing a low-cut blouse mm. to work. Mm. Mm. And I just turned around and I said, no. Mm. I said, absolutely no way. If you go to a nudist beach, you do not see problems mm. with testosterone that you're talking right. about. Yeah. So don't tell me. Yeah. That, that it has to be and I changed his mind on that area mm, mm, right and mm. so equally he changed my mind I, I was like you know women are emancipated he goes stop playing the victim and I was like oh, what do you mean victim and and then he would say things to me and I'd be like oh my goodness he's right mm. I'm not going to do that anymore you know and um I mean, it was just, it was quite incredible. So I would say, I, I would say I learned a lot in that way that there's not one, but if I, if I put it down, I mean, he, he was the one who used to say, you know, Vandana, you wake me up. Mm. You are like a clock for me, yeah. you know, yeah. TikTok and then buzz, buzz, buzz. So the human alarm clock really came out of him. Yeah. It was wow. his affectionate nickname for me. Yeah, yeah, amazing. What a fantastic uh, narration. Of course, we don't want to uh, take all the magic away because we all want to read the book. And I'm absolutely going to grab hold of a Kindle copy because I can't get the hard copy unless uh, someone's coming from India and they'll buy one and then bring one for me. Um, so how do you uh, how do you see the next uh, couple of years panning out for you from the point of view of the book particularly? So what what impact do you want to really create? I mean, of course, people write yeah. books, and it's amazing to write books. Yeah. There's got to be back to your Oika model. Yes, uh, yes, there's got to yes, be yes. some. You've got the conceptualization. You've got to action now. Yeah. 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 yeah well, we're, we're, we've already started. I mean, it's so lovely on Twitter. Um, somebody wrote in the other day that the book had changed his life, and he'd bought five copies for his friends, and he's given them out. And I've said that I'm up for doing book discussions, but what I'm really keen on doing, and this is the first time I'm talking about it officially, you know how there's hackathons, right? Yeah. Right. I want to do hijackathons. Okay, nice. I would like to get organizations that have a problem statement for a diversity issue. Uh, and when I say a diversity issue, I don't just mean male or female. I mean any minority who's not being heard mm -hmm. and any minority who's not at the table getting an equitable voice, not an equal voice, an equitable voice. Yeah. Um, I would like to get a problem statement. I would like to get the whole office there for 24 hours and do a hijackathon where we divide them into teams and we facilitate discussions and the creation of something. Mm. So, for example, Peter Senge, I, I love his um, expression that leadership is the capacity of the community 
to shape their future. Right. Yeah. So if the problem statement in an organization is, how do we get minority voices to be heard equitably at the boardroom table, right? That could be this, the problem statement. Mm. And just let's just get it loose to the mm. whole organization, making sure that we've been clever with the diversity. So each group has, you mm. know, some of the diverse candidates in it. Mm. Um, and 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 let's like do 24 hours where we've got mm. intergeneration, intercultural, maybe India, UK or Indonesia, UK, whatever. Mm. Um, you know, really working at it for 24 hours, because I believe that we would we would be able to to find solutions using Oika and, yeah. and that thinking. So that's yeah. that's one of the things that I really am very keen on doing. The Great. other is um, there's another chapter in the book, which is called Speaking the Unspoken Dialogues. Right. And one of the things that both Alec and I knew, neither of us are psychologists, but we have this face that says, we're safe, talk to us. And the stories that we've heard, and I'm sure, Alf, it's been the same for you, the stories that we've heard have been gut-wrenching and heartbreaking. And but, but when we give people a space to speak the unspoken dialogues, it's like the pressure on them reduces and they feel lighter. Mm. So I would love it if we could set up a whole place, um, a, a whole series of safe spaces mm. where dialogues can be had where people can actually get out what they're feeling and there's support for them. Mm, very powerful. You know, the um, talking about action, we'd, we'd absolutely uh, love to help you on the hijackathons because um, yeah. I will have that conversation separately, but we've got a, a thriving community at Straight Talk. Um, all of them are, you know, either leaders in big companies or uh, mavericks, indiv individual contributors and inspirers, authors, economists, psychologists, and so on. Wow. And I think one of the things we want to do this year, later this year, is the action piece. I want to go out of my way to get some of these 90-odd speakers, not all of them, but some of them, together, because we have an army of influence. Uh, each Absolutely. one of these individuals are, are very powerful in the industry, including yourself and try and implement some of these ideas um, with the themes that are important. So, you know, as you know, we focus on diversity economics, which is a similar yes. thought process, yes. uh, yeah. cutting through the noise. So we should absolutely do some stuff together, which we will. And I want the community to know this when you're listening to this on YouTube or whatever it may be, that uh, reach out to me and or we'll take Vandana's details. Uh, we, we want collaborators on this because I think it takes a community to um to lead and drive that change back to senge's comment so uh, that's fantastic let me ch change gears for a moment and uh talk a little bit about uh you know you're in india uh, you're a you're a woman a leader in india you've been there for 17 years you've also spent time in the uk obviously and in eastern europe and um i guess you're observing it's fantastic to have that by the way it's this incredible incredible gift to be able to spend quality time in different cultures uh, not just read about them in books which we can all do and watch youtube videos but actually you've you've been on the ground you know um yeah. and those observations must be amazing tell us a little bit about don't know if you've been asked this question before but i'm going to ask it anyway um so let me just break this down as to the context so you have an indian heritage okay indian race you have spent time in an Eastern European country, predominantly not Indian, 
white or Caucasian, then you've spent uh, 17 years, nearly two decades of your life experiencing some incredible things in India, no doubt, still connected to the country you were born in, which is the United Kingdom. So that diversity that you have as an individual is quite unique and rare, by the way, mm. of course, mm. uh, because there are many commentators who can comment uh, from you know the, the, the office chair or the sofa, and they're good and they do make sense, including the thought leaders we've mentioned today, but actually not many people have been on the ground. Right. So after all of this, um, what and I know you've written a book and so on and so forth and been through tough times and good times. What what is the future of the country that you're living in right now, India? Um, and I'll just ask you to comment on India and you might pick bits from the book. There is a, there's a side of India that's so amazing and you're so hopeful and so proud of that side. And there's a side of India that could be a little bit more worrying. Are you comfortable sharing what you think personally as to what the future is of this country? Yeah, of course. Um, I think the world has been overtaken with dystopian fiction and making dystopian fiction reality. And my aim is very much to turn to forget dystopian, counterfactual, visionary, right? Visionary fiction, therefore visionary reality. There are challenges, right? When you have 1.4 billion people and a democracy, yeah. that is really, I don't, all those armchair, you know, critics, I, I don't think they quite understand the scale of India. Like the city that I live in is, a, is, is the seventh largest city in India. It's a small city of five and a half million people. Five and a half million, small mm. city. Mm. We are three and a half hours from Bombay. And yet the culture is like the French and, and Germans, right? They may share a border, mm. but would you say French are like Germans? No, they're different. So you need to understand that, um, not you, but the world needs to understand that India is very, very diverse. Now, um, of course, government, politics, all of this comes into it. And there are things that make the front page of newspapers. Uh, I, I, as somebody who lived in Eastern Europe during the time of, of, of many clashes, I remember actually being in Slovakia when the BBC, and this was the BBC, were talking about this massive demonstration in the town square against something. I was there that day and I saw the angle that mm. they took that mm. demonstration from. Mm. And that was the day that I realized, I, I don't know that I can, I don't, I don't know that I can trust everything anymore, yeah. right? Yeah. It's, it's, it's perception. Having said that, yeah, there are some concerns, right? And the biggest concern is is about religion at the moment in India and can certain religious um you know beliefs be be held together i am a strong believer that yes they can it's ramzan at the moment mm. and i have seen everyone everyone go out of their way 
to support Muslims going through like it's 40 degrees outside for them to be fasting and not even drink water during the day it's tough so everyone is ready to support them as soon as the sun comes that it goes down with fruit and vegetables on the street people are feeding people etc etc that's what I see that's what I see as the real India and I see people who care for each other now there will always be those people that talk but the other area that I studied a lot of over the years is um, it's called social network dynamics and social network dynamics look at how do clusters form and how do things grow, how do ideas become like contagions and spread. And I, I'm very clear that there's a lot of scaremongering going on. Having said that, what it's going to take is for those of us that believe in, in the uh, secular nature and democracy of India to speak up every time we see something that is that is not right. And I mm -hmm. think social media has allowed that to happen. There is still a lot of trolling. There's still going to be a lot of difficulties. Um, but the other thing that I would say on all of this, counterfactual and very controversial, I actually think Indian women are going to play an absolutely massive part in the development of India and the development of India as a global brand as we move forward. Mm. And I'll tell you why. And I know there's other countries that will have some of these, um, some of these points, but India for me is one of the only countries where you still have four or five generations living either in the same house or very close together. Now, yeah. as an Indian female, you learn the art of politics and negotiation. Mm. You are not a man who says what I say will go. Mm. You are the person who has to kind of make everyone happy. Mm. And that is a skill that I don't think Indian women quite yet realize is going to be invaluable in the workplace. There are all these skills that we learn at home in India more so than any other country, just because we, you know, there are so many people in India, you are mm. always going to weddings, you are always going to events, you're always with family, you are having to deal with people you don't like. In the UK, if you don't like someone, you don't have to deal with them, mm -hmm. right? You can cut off business, you can avoid them, all of this. You can't do that in India. We are taught to deal with people that we may have challenges with, right? Mm -hmm. and, and so I, I believe that women especially have amazing powers when it comes to politics, negotiation, getting things done, motivation. We've just got to take the lens and look at our family and what we do there and move the lens to the workplace and believe that we can actually do the same thing there. That's one example mm. of, of something that I think is going to make a huge difference going forward. So um, are there challenges? Yes, horrific challenges. Are, uh, you know, are there going to be a lot more downs before we get to the ups? Probably. Are we going to have to deal with climate change in the middle of that? And by the way, um, I think the statistic is 70% more women are going to suffer from the impact of climate change than men in, in India. And that was a report that was done by PwC in association with, with um, the United Nations. Um, and, and that's basically because Often men are the ones who will leave the village and go and work in the city, maybe as an Uber driver or a rickshaw driver or whatever. And the women are back in the villages. And if there's a flood, 
-hmm. they're the ones that are going to have to deal with the problems. If there's a drought, they're the ones that are going to have to deal with the problem. So, so it's, it's, it's quite concerning. Mm. And those things are going to happen. You know, we've, we've really got to pull together and I'm, I'm seeing the younger generation, the under 25s really taking charge and making a difference. And so I'm very hopeful Mm. And I wish there was more, I, I wish there were more communities like this that were mainstream and considered success in media, mm. because I think we'd be seeing a lot more coming out of India then. Mm. Mm. That's powerful, Mandana. And actually, it's a really nice way of, of um, A, closing, closing our, our show, but also... Uh, it certainly got me thinking because, of course, I'm plugged into India in many different sort of ways, and we want to we want to feel inspired, we want to feel energized, we want to feel like there's a better future for all of us uh, in this on this entire planet. India is one of those countries that has such a um, huge impact, just not just because of the populace, but also in the future, the next twenty or thirty years. It is one of those nations that is producing some incredible talent some great minds, some great innovations. And those innovations for a change are now, I guessing, exported uh, to other parts of the world. You know, uh, in the old days, it was just yoga. And, <laughs> and now we have uh, CEOs from India of some of the largest companies who actually are Indian. They're not born in America, they are Indian, and so on. So it's, it's, it's fantastic. Are you, gonna, are you going to uh, stop here? Are you going to start writing more books or... Uh, what's, oh gosh! What's oh, got, you haven't thought I've about got a couple it. on the boil. No, no, no. I've got a couple yeah. on the boil at the moment that are being discussed with publishers. Um, one is yeah. on. Um, okay, now you're going to say, really? Where did that come from? Um, it's on the science of Tibetan healing, ah, and sure. I'm a I, I'm a big believer. I've experienced it myself. Mm. Um, but you know, we always talk about the mind and the body as if they're separate things. Mm -hmm. They're so not separate. They are the same thing, and we've got all these amazing people doing work up here or work down here, but not really building the two together. And um, Tibetan, Tibetan healing is very much ecosystemic. So right. that's one book. I'm writing it with a Tibetan doctor who works um, quite closely with uh, Dharamshala and the institutes yeah. in Dharamshala uh, that teach Tibetan medicine. So I'm writing that with him. And um, separately, uh, I talked to you about the other worlds. Uh, and they are part of a book series uh, called The Ojas Chronicles about a protagonist called Ojas who finds out she's through no fault of her own, but she's got into an institute, but the institute is in outer space and it's an intergalactic institute of planetary management. And it's all about how to find balance, harmony and recalibration within the universe. Wow. And so aliens yeah. from different planets come and study there and she meets all these people from all these other planets and um, they kind of study to work out how to make their planets better. Wow. Okay. <laughs> that, um, that's coming that's, out. That's amazing. How different and how diverse and that's what we like to see. Uh, both books, when you do start to um, flesh them out or when you do yeah. release them, of course, you're going to come here and... Of course. Um, and talk to 100%. us about it. Both are super important. And uh, as you start to write those, uh, then when we connect offline, I will connect you to our community because on the uh, the science fiction side of it, which is the planetary intergalactic experience, 
Um, there are a whole bunch of people studying that and you'll have so much synergy there yeah. and operating in that really space. And then of course the Tibetan healing, I have a personal interest in that myself. So I'm gonna reach out to you about that as well. Um, but uh, what a fantastic moment this has been for us and the hours gone by very quickly. Uh, thank you so much for your honesty and humility and uh, such fantastic energy, of course, uh, constantly a really amazing aura that, um, you know, transmits even through the Zoom screen. And thank so, you. you know, Zoom is flat and it's just this rectangle, but it does do its job sometimes. And today it's definitely done its job. And we wish you all the best with the, the book. We will all um, purchase one. And if there is a link of something that you want to share later, we'll, we'll send that out on social media. Uh, thanks again, and I look forward to spending more time with you and uh, looking forward to these amazing personal stories and experiences that you're going to share with the Straight Talk community. So, Bandana, thank you so much. I will do it in Indian fashion. Thank you. I just uh, want to uh, I, I, I want to say thank you as well, because <coughs> I think um, when you create a platform like you've done, you, you give people permission to breathe. You give those misfits, those outliers, those... Um, you, you know, the people that are considered abnormal, you right. give them permission to be. And I think it's one of the most powerful things you do. Um, my motto is playful, courageous and curious. And I think I think you're creating that atmosphere. So thank you for everything you do. And I really mean that. Oh, thank you. Um, I'm, I'm really grateful. It's honored actually. And it's my entire team of people who work and they work not for profit pro bono to do this. So. Uh, absolutely amazing and um, yeah thank you again thanks to all the listeners we'll catch up with you on the next show another exciting show coming up and Vandana take care be well keep smiling and we'll be uh, connecting you with our audience as well so um, all the best everyone yeah cheers